And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, um, we're here with friend of the program, Alaska, um, who has had a very long and interesting career and is not only an MC, but someone who's been around hip hop for a long time, um, a classic New York strong opinion having cat who we've really had the <laughs> pleasure to get to know uh, because we have kind of podcasts that are in the same community and uh, of mm-hmm. course I had followed his career um, as an underground hip-hop head for a long time now so um, Alaska welcome to the show. Thank you and, and I'd like to make a quick cor- uh, correction to Please. your um, description of my career as long and interesting. <laughs> I would say probably just long. <laughs> More than anything, just long. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so bring, bring us back to the beginning. How, how did you okay. get your start in hip-hop? When did you kind of decide to take it seriously? Like, how did you become mm-hmm. an MC? Um, so I kind of figured it out on my own. Um, I was one of those, like, 80s kids that grew up in the suburbs, like, predominantly white neighborhood. Um, rap was, like, my passion. I was on an island on my own. Like, you know, there's... In the the hip-hop media landscape, there's like 900 guys like us. It's like, it's not a rarity. Um, But um, through that, you know, I I became sort of like really just fell in love with rap music um, when I was young. Like I was like, I think 88 really like was the year that kicked it off for me, um, which coincides with young TV rap, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, And I really just fell in love with it. It was unlike anything I ever heard before. Like, you know, I, I always sort of liked rebellious music and i mean rap was nothing if not rebellious like i listened to a lot of like hardcore punk um before that um sort of like aggressive thrash metal um you know just anything that was like fuck you to the system was what i was listening to um and and rap fit that perfectly so you know um for a long time it was just a passion on my own like nobody i knew listened to it i didn't have anybody i could talk to about rap music. It was pre-message board, the whole thing. Um, And when I went to college, um, my first roommate was also a crazy rap head. Um, His name was Brian. Uh, He was from Harlem. And basically like we both had this almost the same exact tape collection. I think the difference was he had like words from the genius and the Steezo album. And I had like, I forgot what it was. It might've been like brotherhood creed or something like that, which is always like a go, go to joke for me with, um, with that record. But through that, like I became very good friends with him and like, I finally had somebody that I could talk rap with. Um, and you know, we had a few other friends that we were really close with and we all just kind of started rapping together. Like, you know, we would get smoke a blunt, turn on our karaoke machine that had, you know, one tape with instrumentals, one tape to record. And we would just like rap. Um, and I became an RA in college and I had to put on sort of like cultural events where it was like, you know, it had some sort of like artistic value to it. So I started doing open mics in my dorm in the, in the hall. And I was starting, like, I guess I was starting to get a name as a rapper on campus. I didn't really know it. Um, but I, there was this young kid that came on, his name was Billy G and he was from Queens. Um, he had been on stretch and Bobito, like he he did a show with souls of mischief when they first played New York. So he had a bit of a rep, right. And he came to battle me because he was basically battling everybody on campus. I didn't know this, but he told me this years later, we, he ended up liking what I was doing. I was loving what he was doing. So we started rapping together and he brought me to my first show in New York city, which was at the new, well, it was, 
a show called All That, which was hosted by Bobito Garcia. This particular instance was um, at a high school in Williamsburg called El Puente High School, which is, um, you know, sort of like teaches kids to be activists within their community. Um, and it was a benefit show. They did that every year. And, you know, we got up, we performed, and I was scared shitless. It was the first time I'd ever really been in front of, like, people that I didn't yeah. know. Not your and friends. I, yeah, I just closed my eyes. They had a giant paper mache pterodactyl hanging from the auditorium ceiling. And that's all I remember seeing. And then when I was done, I felt the tap on my leg. It was fucking Bobito. And he was like, that was dope. He gave me a pound. And Good at start. that exact moment, I was like, I was hooked. Three shows later, we got booed off stage. And we were like, he was like, you guys aren't ready. So it was like, it was really like first time luck. But th at that show, I met Yishwan Sire. Wow. Like, you know, at the Cypher outside, like Yishwan Sire, my homie pays one. Uh, who I do the 90 now events with like that was sort of my foundation and at that moment I was like I'm rapping I didn't think it would I'd still be doing it you know 30 years later yeah but here I am so so that was the start and that That's that amazing. led me yeah. into like the New Yorican Poets Cafe scene which was like all that and it was like a monthly event and then they had another monthly event called Words and it was just like all the, like the underground New York kids were there like Pumpkinhead, Yishwa Sire, Us, um, Juggernauts would show up, Company Flow would show up, um, Adams Family would show up, and that's where I met like the Adams Family dudes. Yeah, give, give us a little bit more on that. I think um, most people would probably know the Adams Family uh, name from Cannibal Ox. They they kind of yeah. uh, emerged out of that as kind of the, the biggest act. But tell tell us mm -hmm. who was in it, what it was about, um, and just kind of if you can like help us paint a picture of. Also, like, what was New York like at that time? And sure. were, you, were you feeding off that energy? Yeah, I mean, de we're definitely feeding off of that energy. It was like, it, it was like the cliche of like what you thought uh, like underground hip hop was in New York. That you go to Washington Square Park or Union Square and you could sit there and you could spot the other MCs because everybody was dressed alike. It was like, you know, super baggy carpenter pants or army pants. Um, you either had Tim's or like Vasques. Um, and you know, you had your, you had your Patagonia outdoor gear or whatever your mountain climbing gear was your backpack, but you would constantly have ciphers. Um, so you would find all these MCs there. Um, and from that, it just started building. It just became a, a scene where it was like seeing the same people at every event. There would be like four or five different venues that would have events you know, every couple of weeks. So, but like every week you had a different event you could go to, you would see the same faces. You would have these bigger crews. So there was like, we be foolish, which was, you know, Yishwa, Sire, Ken Boogaloo, uh, a cat named Medulla, a cat named Bug Eyes, you know, basically a bunch of different cats. There was a cat called, a crew called UBU. Um, there was the plague, which was like Pumpkinhead's crew. Um, and Adam's family. Like I used to always hear the term Adam's family, like throw yeah. around. Like, Before we go things. into that, some of these yeah. names are off the wall and it makes me want to ask you how you yeah. got your moniker, which is not <laughs> your average rap moniker. Can you tell us that story? It's not a very good story. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I, I used to go by Mr. T because my name is Tim. So I had like a whole lot of like step to Mr. T and a pity to fool type yeah, of Yeah, for sure. Um, and um at that time, like, I, I got with, like, a crew of dudes, so, like, Wind and Breeze, um, he didn't have a rap name at the time, but it was, like, me, him, and this dude, Angel, um, we formed Hangar 18, uh, and this was back in, like, 93, um, and 
you know, I just kind of wanted to change my name because the style was changing. I was very punchline oriented when I went by Mr. T. Uh, and as we started going, getting more immersed in the underground scene, it became more about sort of like lyricism, having like some depth and some interesting things. And like, even with, within us, like analytic, he kind of did like this weird, like medieval style. Like he kind of almost like bit it a little bit from a, uh, I guess the cellar dwellers, like, you know, like they sort of have okay. like this myst- realm of mysticism that he was sure, held into. Sure. Um, so I was just really high and drunk at a party in Albany. And I was thinking of a name. Cause I was like, my, my style is like, and I, th- I think still to this day, like it's a little bit like sort of like cold and like, you know, just sort of like, fuck you. Like kind of like this, this detachment and like seeing hypocrisy everywhere, a little nihilistic. Um, and I was just trying to think of something that was like cold and out there and alone. And at first it was like Ontario, Ontario's cold. And, but then I was finally like, I was like, Alaska. And I went to them. I was like, what do you guys think? And everybody was like, yeah, it's good. So that's how I became nice. Alaska. Yeah. yeah. You, were, you were this close to spitting Halifax. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Halifax and Halifax. <laughs> Tell us about Adam's Fam. Like, how did you guys connect and what, what okay. was that group like? So Adam's Family, at first to me, it was just kind of like a legend because I never really saw anybody who was Adam's Family, but you'd hear people yell out at shows, Adam's Fam! Um, and we were at an event uh, at New Eureka Poets Cafe and, you know, like weird shit would pop off in bathrooms, like ciphers. So a cipher popped off in the bathroom and there was this dude who had like, a toothbrush in his mouth and a shower cap on. And he had the fucking craziest style I've ever heard in my life. And that and cat it was, was the guy Osiris. from D12. No, I'm just kidding. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually logic. Um, <laughs> but it, it was this dude, uh, Osiris Cloud. And uh, he's the person that actually drew the Cannibal Ox album cover. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and he's been heard on a couple of Adam songs that like a few that have been released. Uh, but I met him and me and Wynn met him and we got along pretty quickly. And he was just like, you guys are an Adams family. And I was like, okay, cool. So like, he was like, come down this weekend. We'll all hang out. And uh, Wynn had to work so he couldn't come. And like, I was like, yeah, I'll come up. Cause I was desperate to like get a, a bigger crew and a bigger affiliation. Yeah. And I ended up waiting for those dudes for like four hours. Oh my God. Um, and it was just like, it was winter. I was fucking freezing. And finally they showed, finally Vortal showed up. It was only Vortal. He's like, come back to my house. I was like, all right, cool. So we went up to his house um, and like I, I met him in the village and he lived on 135th street. So we kind of just took the train and, and uh, traded rhymes back and forth. And we got there and he still lived at home with his mom. He was like, and I found out he was like 16 years old. I was like 22. Oh, so wow. it was like, it was really weird, but I ended up like staying with him for like three days Wow. and just like hanging out. And his mom was just like, fuck is this dude doing here? <laughs> You know, it was like <laughs> one of those weird things. But so, so through that, you know, me and Wind uh, and Analytic became part of Adam's family. We didn't really know much about Adam's family other than those two dudes in Vast, because they were the only guys we met. And uh, this dude, Genesis, who was like on Stretch and Bob, he did a couple of freestyles. Okay. Um, but apparently it was like 35, 40 people. Um, so, you know, a couple of months later, we go to like the show called, at the place called Vinyl. And the show was like this first big, like, 
the underground is here. It was uh, nonfiction, natural resources, and is it natural resources? Or nat- no, natural elements. I'm sorry, natural oh, okay. elements. Like, yeah, I can um, see why that would be confusing. Yeah, natural resources <laughs> with Pumpkinhead and like Gene Gray and all those guys. Yeah, but um, it was yeah, natural elements and um, Juggernauts and Company Flow. So like everybody was there. Pretty like, good lineup. We, yeah, yeah. That's when we met like Cryptic and his group, Center of the Web. Okay. And you know we they were they were closer to our age, so we were all like in the same age group. So we became real real tight and like hung out because you know we were kind of into the same things. Like they those younger guys were like really into comic books and cartoons and skipping high school, and we were sort of like, you know, I got to finish college, I got a job, I also rap, um, you know, I'm trying to have my own place, like that sort of thing. Um, but anyways, like, so, so that kind of became like a central grouping right there, like, uh, center of the web, hangar 18, Vortal and vest. So that was like really sort of like, those are the people that were always around. Um, never really knew any of the other people. You never got to know the the 38th member of Adam's family. I never got to. Yeah. But then like, we'd find out like they started putting people on. Mm who were then having beef with other people. Fun. So we were like, you know, uh, we were like, fuck it, we gotta cut this down. Like, these are the people who are always here. This is our core eight. Everybody else is gone. So we had to like call everybody. Like, um, Apathy was a member of Adam's family for like a very short period. It was like one of those things. Like people were just like, rappers are dope. And Apathy was like fucking, I mean, if you think he's dope now, he was just these fucking bananas. He was like super underground rapper. I was like, oh my God, this guy's so good. Um, but we had to like get rid of everybody because mm-hmm. you know it was just basically unwieldy. Us. Yeah, it is. It's a bit much, right? And everybody's all over the place. Um, so yeah, so basically we we cut it down and we started working together. We were tried to record a lot, but we would end up just like staying in Cryptic's house for two days and get one song done where it's like you know forty bar verses from everybody, right? Um, and that we didn't have like the technology to punch in or you know do anything to clean things up. So it's like everybody had to get their 40 bars perfect. So, you know, you're just taking forever. Um, Can I ask a clarifying point on that? I've never quite understood this. Is this from like listening to a lot of organized confusion or like um, not knowing about 16 bar structure or purposefully ignoring it or like why the long verses? Was it just about being as creative as possible? I think it was all the above, honestly. Like we definitely didn't know what we were doing. Um, We didn't know like how to start or end a verse. Um, We didn't. Like when I was right, I didn't even know about bar structures at that point. I don't think any of us really knew about bar structures. Fair enough. And I don't just mean like, that question to come off like every oh, verse no has worries. to be 16 bars. I'm just Yeah, curious. yeah, no. I, I wish it was. Like I, you know, I look <laughs> back on that stuff. Like I basically used to take a piece of legal paper, fold it in half, and write down both sides, and then that's a verse. So okay. however long that ended up being, that ended right. up being a verse for me. Okay. Um, so it was just, you know, it was really just like that's where we learned, though. Like that's where we figured out how to do things right. Um, how to put these things together and like how to, to make sense of it and, and sort of craft songs. Um, you know, and it ended up leading to like a couple records, um, like the Persecution of Hip Hop uh, record, which wasn't necessarily an Adams project. It was a compilation that Crip put out, but it had a lot of Adams stuff on it. Um, the Adams Fan prequel album, which was just supposed to be sort of like a mixtape to announce these future projects that we were going to do and never did. Like we even had stickers with everything on it that never came about. And then Bastin Vortal um, became friendly with L, 
uh, through the soul leaf, I believe it was mm. because soul put Vortal's name into the, to the beef. Interesting. L bit your style from an underground kid named Vortal. So, you know, we weren't really tight with L at that time at all, but if anything, we had been his style. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was like, because we were in similar circles, they were able to meet each other. And that's why Bortles on that song. And that's sort of like how Cannibal Ox kicked wow. off. Crazy. Yeah. And then eventually, or maybe it's not that eventual, at, at somewhere around this time, Hangar 18 is also signed to Def Joke. So I guess we're moving forward in history a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Hell it's a couple years in history. Leave Rockus, found Def Jokes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But for your story, uh, yeah, Hangar 18 story. is a is a is a Def Jokes act and you're kind of touring and around this mm -hmm. like incredibly vital scene. Like, can you tell us what that was like? <laughs> It's going to be a letdown when I tell I know, you. I know, I, mean, I know. I know you, bud. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it was just mostly like dudes hanging out. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I think, I think anything, like I think of like, you know, like the early hardcore scenes or I think of like, you know, what that like public enemy radio show must have been like. Right. And then I think about like what we were like, and I talked to a lot of kids. They're like, oh my God, it was like, that must have been the best. I was like, really? It was just like dudes hanging out and playing music for each other. Yeah. And smoking weed. But yeah. You know, it was cool as it was happening, yeah. right? Like At least you're around your friends all the time and people are kind exactly. of starting to get known, right? Like it's yeah. early internet culture meets like kind of like underground, proven to be successful, can, yeah. can sell some records. Maybe you could get famous. I don't know what, yeah. your, what your goals were, what you wanted out of it, but. Yeah, I mean, I never had goals. It was just yeah. sort of like doors kept opening and I kept going through them. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, the, the cool thing about, really the cool thing about being on Jux was for me was, because um, I wasn't a full-time musician at this time. Like those guys were all full-time musicians. So they hung out all the time. Um, you know, for, for us, it was like, we were friends with a lot of these people and seeing them have success was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, being able to play shows at venues, we had no business playing it because, you know, the press sort of took a shine to us. So like we were playing like, you know, Bowery Ballroom, which was like a 500 seat venue, yeah, uh, Irving Plaza, which is like a thousand people. Right. And it was like, you know, we had no business being on that stage, but it gave us the opportunity to do that and to like figure out how to play to those types of crowds. Uh, um, what was the thesis of Hangar 18? Like, what was the group about? And I don't know that you guys ever sat around and talked about this, but now that you have the, the gift of hindsight, like what, yeah. what, what was Hangar 18's deal? We just wanted to have fun. Okay. Um, I mean, honestly, like that's as honest as I could be. Like, you know, one of the the reasons it took us so long to come out is because we had a lot of starts and stops. Um, a lot of the people that we were around made very dark music mm -hmm. and our sensibilities weren't very dark. Mm -hmm. um, so we had trouble finding the right sound. And, and we fortunately met Paul um, who kind of had the sound that we wanted. We wanted to be like, and, and this will maybe crack you up because you know, my disdain for the beastie boys, but <laughs> we wanted to be like a combination of the Beastie Boys and Outkast. Okay. Right. Like we wanted to make sort of like, yeah, kind of progressive music, but we wanted it to be fun and something that people could dance to. Like, right. like my whole, my whole view was like, you know, as long as you have a good hook and a good beat, people should be able to gravitate towards it. Right. Um, because, you know, people talk about nothing and people go crazy for that right. or, you know, so that was sort of what we wanted to do. We wanted to take the, the underground aesthetic and give it like a, almost like a, a pop twist. Yeah. Um, and, and I wouldn't go so far as to call your music pop, but I remember very distinctly when the, 
you, with the set, I, correct me if I'm wrong on some details here. I was on in California at this time and quite mm-hmm. young myself, but like the, the, the second album has like the Cobra. Yeah. Uh, the like, yeah, the super and, yeah, yeah. And it was like, um, now I'm watching Cobra Kai right now me with too. my it's wife. It's so well done. You guys were way yeah. ahead on that one. Um, but I remember I was such an underground head and such like a dick, frankly, like about everything. And it, I, I didn't really get Hangar 18 because I didn't want to have any fun ever. I wanted everything yeah. to be dark. I wanted everything to be super scientifical was the term I always use now mm-hmm. off the Mr. Man line. But, it, you know, we just, you know what I'm talking about. Some rapping, oh, yeah, rap, totally. rapping yeah. about rapping. Um, yeah. Your guys wanting to have fun did not appeal to me. And I don't know yeah, if I've ever I, told you that, but um, you know, I'm not like that's cool. it didn't 18 anymore. And I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, now we're, we're buds and I want to talk to you yeah. about it. And I think it's very interesting for you to have taken that kind of contrary position, but you knew what you wanted. You went after it and you had some success. You guys were pretty big yeah, some, in yeah. that world. In that world. Yeah. Like yeah. we, we never reached like sort of crossover potential like Aesop or Murray right. or yeah. RJ or L or any of those guys. But I, I, I mean, guess, it went beyond my wildest dreams. Yes, and that's yeah. that's great to hear you say. And I, I think like you actually set it up so you could have, like maybe the the right song at the right time or the right like publicist or something. Like it, you you could have. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It, it seems like that to me. Um, I mean, if you would have waited I, I a little while longer, everyone would have been doing coke and wanting to have fun. You know, <laughs> we, we really missed our window. <laughs> but that that's actually where like it, it kind of ended for us. Like sweep yeah. the leg was it was a real disappointing record, even to us. Like, like I listened to that record. I'm like, man, it's not that good. We had, cause we had a version of that record done like two years before it came out. And I think if that record came out, it would have been really good. But then we started tinkering with it. Like we started touring a lot and playing a lot of different audiences. Yeah. Um, that we started trying to craft songs for like, that's how we got the, the atmosphere song or the mm-hmm. song with slug. Mm-hmm. Right. It was like, all right, we're playing. Like we played, We've done a lot of shows with Slug. We've done, like, we toured with Gym Class Heroes twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's like seeing a different grouping of kids mm-hmm. that had different, different sensibilities and, and wanted different things. We started, like, trying to craft our music to an audience instead of what we wanted out of it. And I yeah. think that really hurt the project. Okay. And, and therefore the group? Yeah. The, I mean, the group, there was other things happening in the group. Like, it just was sort of, like, coming to a natural end. Um, you know, Paul was, Paul was married at this time. He was filming commercials. Um, he had a daughter, um, and they were getting ready to move to Wisconsin. So, you know, the person that was our sound, like he really like helped solidify us. He was gone. Um, Wind and I just started seeing life a lot differently. Um, you know, I'm sort of like, you know me, I'm sort of like a bit like, fuck everything. Cantankerous. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, cantankerous would be the word. Whereas he's very, like, very positive. Like, he's uh-huh. all about, like, positive and deliberate intent and shit like that. So it was like, I think our personalities probably graded on each other a little bit. Sure. A lot um, of time in a, in a car, van, hotel room yeah. situation tends to do yeah. that as well, right? And, and something, something I realized later on, like, whenever we took a third person on the road with us, we eventually turned on that person. Interesting. And, and I think, like, that was our way of avoiding turning on each other. That is fascinating. Uh, yeah. And, three and we hour never podcast turn- someday to unpack that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We never actually turned on each other. Like, we're still friends. But I think, like, what we were doing creatively, it just it hit a wall. Like, we wanted different things.
um, I, I can't remember exactly how kind of Twitter rap, rapidly rap mm-hmm. stuff you guys had, were just starting your podcast or something, but I, I sat down and watched the documentary adult rappers, but like 45 minutes into it, my wife, who's very open-minded about this stuff and cares about hip hop, but not as much as I do, like, how could she, right? Turns yeah. to me and goes, why are we watching this? <laughs> and so I kind of want to address the misanthropic, almost like hatred of hip hop that is espoused in this film by all these great rappers who also mm-hmm. have normal lives. And you, you come, you're in it a couple of different times. And so I want to get your take on the kind of the, again, not to use this highfalutin word again, but like the thesis of the film is basically sure. like you can be a normal person and be a rapper, but the whole segment about not ever wanting to tell anyone you're a rapper and like, yeah. you never want to talk about it. Like, I feel like you really embody that. And I just feel like you could help me understand that um, sure. as a, as a kid who still grew up thinking like being a rapper is the coolest thing in the world. Right. Yeah. And then I, you know, I also think it kind of ties back into what you were saying, how you were kind of like an older guy in Adam's family and like you Mm -hmm. you can you kind of to me and like you know I know you're a real person but you kind of to me embody this ideal of like you're over it and you've been over it since you were in it and I find that fascinating so if you could just speak to that jumble of statements (laughs) and being in the movie (laughs) it's interesting so I think there was a time when I really did feel that way Mm -hmm. um but I don't feel that way. And I haven't for probably since that movie came out. Okay. So it kind of captures um, a little moment where you're a little on the. Yeah. So I don't that, know. That, bitter, is bitter the right term? Yeah. I think bitter is the right term, but I also think um, that movie came, they started working on that movie, like right as like the underground scene died. Mm-hmm. So maybe like a year and a half after. So um, my friend, Paul, who was the producer in Hangar 18, he directed it. Um, and he it started basically like on a sort of like throwaway thing that he said to one of his friends i think he was working on a commercial and he got like his phone kept ringing over and over again and it was like c-rays or cage like one of those guys calling him and like after not speaking to him for two years because paul had been out of the scene asking for beats Hmm. and he like hung up he's like i have too many adult rappers in my life (laughs) and his friend was like you should make a movie about that so, and at the same time, I had given him Brian, uh, Brian Coleman's Check the Technique book. Yeah. And I think Paul realized, like, there hadn't really been anybody telling the story of, like, this scene yeah. that happened. I still don't think there has been anybody that's done it, like, really well. Definitively. Um, yeah, definitively. We're post-Napsterization. This is kind of like the mm-hmm. iTunesization of music. Like, the bottom fell yeah. out of music, including the indie rap scene. And everybody including was kind of like, what, what do we do yeah. now? Yeah, and, and the, the media turned too, right? Right. The media was all about the indie rap scene until right. it wasn't the shiny new thing anymore. Right. And they kind of just went to like, I think like Dipset became the big thing. And like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like down south became a very big thing. Clips. And, you know, yeah, much deserved. Like, you yes. know, like great music. Paul Wall and Slim Thug and, yeah. you know, the whole Swisher House movement. Like, um, and I don't blame them for getting bored of us. Like they right. should have gotten bored for us. We got like self-involved and self-important and stopped right. making interesting music. Yeah. Um, but so I think that's when you found everybody and everybody was like, what the fuck happened? Like I came into this thing just doing something I loved and it became like, and I think much like what I was saying, like it wasn't something I, any of us planned on. It was like doors just kept opening and then they shut quickly. And there's that sort of, at least I had it, like it was a sense of failure. Like I failed at something. Uh, And I think people were dealing with that at that time. And um, 
I think that's probably why people were hesitant to say like they're involved in rap. Yeah. Was there um, ever a point where you didn't have a day job? Where was rap ever your full time deal? Oh yeah, yeah, it was. It was for from two thousand and four until two thousand nine. That's, um, that's a good run. Yeah, it was a good run. Yeah. But you know, also during that time, like all of my friends that I grew up with are like getting married, having families, having houses, like having money, like not worried about I'm going to get evicted because I don't have any money to pay any bills at all. Right. My lights right. and my heat are off. It's not um, like having a, not having a job was because you were like at, at the penthouse of the Four Seasons. It's no, like, exactly. Yeah. You were trying to not have a job. <laughs> trying to not have a job. Yeah. Um, so, so I think there was like a, a lot of resentment there, but um, I don't know when I watched that movie, I was surprised at how, like exhilarating it was like you know there, there is a super dark segment in the middle mm-hmm. but when you get to the end everybody's like i would do it all over again in a heartbeat totally. yeah and you kind of see a lot of people that were in that movie have started like having like a second act totally i i think of um i think it's esso from seven l and esoteric who's like mowing yep. the lawn and yeah. uh, like i think it's a year or so after that, uh, Zarface comes about and he has like yeah. a full on second act. It's, a, it's like yeah. a really cool story. Same thing as Jay Zone. Like Jay Zone was right. just learning to play drums there and now he's right. like killing it. He's everywhere. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, Blueprint was always around. Blueprint stayed active. Murr stayed active. Yeah. Um, there were some younger guys who, like Homeboy Sandman, blew up uh, after right. that. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think, I think. I don't know, for me seeing it, like I remembered everything that I loved and I realized that I can still do music without having to worry about all the stuff I hated. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, and that's just sort of what I do now. Like, I don't give a fuck about, like, I don't, I do not ever want to tour again. Yeah. I don't care if I, you know, sell a hundred records. Yeah. I'm like honored to sell a hundred records because that's it's cool. like, it's yeah. exactly what I want to do. And if people like it, they like it. And that's awesome. You know, so that, like, that leads us to um, you have uh, a great podcast that I'm a huge fan of and have been thank honored you so much. To be we on are a huge fans of, of the Dad Bod as well. Thanks, man. Um, which is called Call Out Culture, and yes. you and Zilla Rocca and Curly Castro, um, who are all MCs. Your your show is fascinating for a variety of reasons. One, I think it's pretty loose, and it's it's like a it's a hang sesh, and it's like hanging mm-hmm. with these three interesting cats. Um, you have human cartoon curly castro who's like always like got something super interesting to say zilla rock is super laid back and like mm-hmm. grinding on his music stuff yeah. all the time and then you and have he's got he knows everything right he he just like, it's he listened to the guy's seventh album and could tell you which tracks are the best ones and who produced yeah. it and he's got that kind of mind which is fascinating yeah i'm and like then, i haven't listened to that dude since 92 exactly <laughs> I, skipped, yeah. I skipped all but the first two albums which are the, what i will always think of as good and moved on with my yeah. life after that, um, they died. Yeah. And then uh, yourself, who we've kind of talked about, is kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of grouchy. I don't know if that's yeah, like, yeah. that offends you or not, but you, you also no. have super fascinating opinions and you were in the room where some of this stuff happened. And so you have yeah. a very interesting perspective, especially on kind of like 90s underground, into the 2000s underground mm-hmm. hip hop culture. I mean, I, th- I think it started originally as um, Zilla and I had like kind of talked a lot. And he was like, you know, I feel like all these conversations should be a podcast. He's like, it's the same thing with Castro. Like whenever I talk to Castro, I'm like, I just wish I recorded it. Yeah. And he was like, Which let's do a exactly podcast. Which is how our show started, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like, um, so he was like, let's do a podcast. I was like, cool. And uh, I didn't really know Castro at this time. Like I had done like a song with him, but I didn't really know him. 
Um, and he was like, let's have Castro on. And I was like, cool, let's do it. Like, let's see what happens. Um, and it's the same sort of thing. It's like, you know, let's do it. And if whatever, as long as it's fun, let's keep doing it. The second it's not fun anymore. Like I'm out. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, I think for us, like, it's just like, I, one of my favorite things to do since I've been like 16 was talk about rap music. For sure, man. And you know, be able to be in these conversations again, express these thoughts with people who know about them yeah. and who could counter or who could push you on it sure. and make you think about it a little deeper. So, but yeah, man. So um, you and your co-host and friend Zilla Rocca have a new album. Why don't you tell us yes. what that's all about? So um, it's, a, we formed a group. Uh, we were originally called call out culture. Oh, um, how funny. But then we, we were like, let's call the podcast that, and we were going to call ourselves that. But then I was, um, I took some of my students to, um, I, I work at a, a university and uh, like in a computer science field. I don't know computer science, but I do like um, student affairs and academic affairs. And I took some of my students to a company for a company information session. And they were talking about the idea of cargo cults and like, um, which is a term I had never heard before. Um, are you familiar with the term? Uh, only, and I'm glad you brought this up because I really wanted to drop this little kernel of knowledge. Uh, Numero yes. Group has uh, their international version of the Eccentric Soul series, like Soul kind of revival, mm -hmm. reissue, archival stuff, is called Cargo Cults. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so there, there's this particular volume of it from Belize, which is amazing, okay. and it has this uh, Belizean version of the Godfather theme that Raekwon sampled on um, only built for Cuban links too. Nice. It has like just this massive break on it. So oh, that's, I, that's, awesome. that's how I know the term. And so I think they're okay. going for kind of the same, the same vibe you guys are going to, but please finish. Yeah. So, so anyway, a cargo cult is when um, a lesser technically advanced culture encounters a more technically advanced culture. Um, a phenomenon tends to happen. Like, so this, this started with like um, food drops into areas. Like they would, a plane would come drop food the culture didn't understand what the plane was. Mm. So they built almost like idols mm. to the plane. They, they created a plane in hopes of having more planes come to bring more food. That's so that's, that's the term cargo cult. They're dropping okay, the cool. cargo. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, sort of, it's like my sort of like view on the world right now. Like we think we're at this height of technology, but we don't even understand our fucking technology. And like, we're totally. hoping it's going to save us. So yeah. like, we're the cargo call. Like we're, we're hoping that technology is going to save us and we have no idea. We don't know how to wield it. Like, you know, you put us in a social media landscape and we turn into fucking savages that want to kill each other. That um, is you know, definitely so, happening. Yes. That's very, yeah. so, so that's sort of where the idea for cargo cults came. Um, the title of the records nihilist millennial, um, depending on who you ask, you're going to get different answers. Um, Zilla just thinks millennials are nihilists in general. Like that's his generation. Uh, I think we're always a little harsher on our own generations. Like I think yeah. Gen X are a bunch of assholes who just like market shit. Um, that's like what we do well. Um, but for me, it's like, I think there's been a sense of nihilism in the world since the turn of the millennium. Sure. Um, so like, that's sort of the way that I read into the title. So anyway, we just started like making this record. Um, Zilla gave me a bunch of beats and allowed me to like, spout my worldview into the world. Um, you know, I think in a lot of senses, um, you know, some of it's just like real rappy rap shit, but I think like, I kind of see the world as like, there's no, like, if you look, think of a bowling alley, there's no bumpers mm -hmm. 
And like, you just have to like accept what's going to come good or bad. And like how you deal with it is going to define who you are versus like trying to, to avoid it and shut everything down and create this safe world for yourself. So I think that's the way I, I kind of approached music. Like, I don't know, there's a song called All Power to All People. And I wrote it like in, I think, 2018, when people want, like, you know, were first started like really like clamoring about censorship on the web. Um, and I, I thought this was a horrible idea because if you look at like really how things like the printing press or how the internet has helped disenfranchise groups actually mm -hmm. mobilize, like if you start taking away those weapons because you're worried about another like small group using them for harm, you're actually harming yourself. Mm. Um, so like, that's sort of like the way I, I kind of look at the world and that's like the worldview I wanted to espouse. Like you have to take the world that you have and make it better versus like just destroying the world you have to avoid the bad in it. Dude, that sounds awesome. Um, it's a, it's a really good record. Um, you and Zilla kind of going back and forth, really interesting. Um, I think if everybody wants to check it out, where can they, where can they find this? Um, I think it's probably only going to be on the Wrecking Crew Bandcamp. Okay. Um, I'm very anti Spotify and, sure. you know, giving those streaming services any content for free. Yeah. Um, so I think probably Wrecking Crew Bandcamp. Okay. Um, it's, it's on there. Right on. And is, yeah. will there be a physical thing or is this? There is. Yeah. So we have, um, we have two, two versions of the CD. Um, we have one that is like, it's called a vinyl box but it's like basically like the cover is black velvet. Um, and then we have one that uh, Curly Castro is calling the Zabruta film version. And it's, it's a CD tin. So okay. it's like the CD is like, you know, yeah. the artwork will be printed on the tin and you can hold up to 10 CDs on it. So, nice. you know, when you're, when you're out with your CD Walkman <laughs> and you uh, need to bring your discs with you. When I have all my spindles of burned CDs of, there you, go, uh, yeah. you know, like LP instrumentals and stuff like that from 2003 yeah. that I don't think work anymore. I'll, I'll throw some in there. Just Perfect. And, and nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing about stacking 10 CDs in a tin at all will compromise the quality <laughs> of the CD. Sounds like a plan, my man. Um, happy for you with the success Thank of the you, podcast man. and the new record and um, just have been wanting to do this for a long time and really just like kind of yeah, wanted to, to talk about the adult rappers documentary that my wife hated and I loved and that um, I thought you were you were very interesting in and I it, I'm, I'm appreciative of the context that you supplied and um, I think um, there's there's a lot more of a story to be told about that kind of underground era and it it yeah. gives some interesting perspective on its decline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all scenes decline, right? Yes, they certainly do. All right, guys, that was our little mini episode with Alaska. He's got the new project Cargo Colts with friend of the program, Zilla Raka. Their album is called Nihilus Millennial. Wanted to leave you with a little taste of it. This is Ramelzy, one of the standout cuts for me off of that album. We'll be back on Thursday with a full-length episode. Big shouts, Dave and Damone. Dad Bod Rap Pod, thanks for listening. I walk down the street, people look at me and say, who the hell are you? I am one of the gothic futurists in the Alpha's bet of the equation known as the Randall Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ramble Z is an equation where the letters form brigades in early stages of invasion. Swirling pages, forming mazes of my formulation. 
Where former mages break them down into a form that's shapeless His pure escapism is fatalism Fella cootie raised it thin embraces Emaciated and hella bougie Got the futurism apocalyptic With soothing wisdom Smash the superstitions With acid taps and some spooky visions See what I see I'm talking deep down sunny Listen, listen to the coup Cause what you thought it was It wasn't, is it? I'm talking politics, Crazy vision Wally Clarks Walt Whitman Wally Sparks Dismantle the oligarch We lost control from the second that we sold the art We sold the souls, we sold the future And we sold the hearts We have the freedom and control within our writing The fame itself is fleeting We should be seeking enlightenment Yeah, Ramsey is an equation And simply stated it's a way of life of chasing That's why I praise the future God the future prophet Got a rocket, don't stop it Got a rocket, don't stop Got a rocket, don't stop it Got a rocket, don't stop Got a rocket, don't stop it Got a rocket, don't stop Everybody praise the future God the future prophet don't stop it, got a rocket, don't stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rebel Z is an equation. Nason imagination deep inside a battle station. Armament, now my raps are built like a battle bot. Locked inside an ad hoc Camelot, I'd rather not. Tangle with a rabbit lot, hop inside a rabbit hole. The tragedies and comedy, economies and classics all. Fix it in a casserole, an asshole if I have to be. Murder everything from David Axelrod, the trap of murder. Garbage God, simple destroyer, the evolution thriller. I was a thriller in the Ali. It's me and Dilla, well established with a lavish vision Both hands crusty with iconoclastic mannerism Pants and band of the power source of the album Slick helmets and Sith relics out of Malachor Open up the palace doors, built for poultry and allergies A perfect mix of Prince Paul and all the empty galleries Yeah, Rambo Z is an equation And simply stated it's a way of life I'm chasing That's why I praise the future gothic future Got a rocket, don't stop it. Got a rocket, don't stop. Got a rocket, don't stop. Everybody praise the future, got the future profit. Rocket, don't stop it. Got a rocket, don't stop.